Welcome to the Guardians of the Game podcast, presented by the National Association of Basketball Coaches, where we go one-on-one with the top minds in college basketball to learn what makes a coach a coach. All three of my uncles, my mother's brothers, were all coaches. And growing up, I envied their sons so much because their dad had the keys to the gym. That's all I wanted to do was be a teacher and a coach at great mentors in high school that I wanted to be like them. The NABC Guardians of the Game is proudly supported by Wilson, the official basketball of the NCAA. Now here's your host, Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Today's guest is the head of coach of the Michigan Wolverines, John Beeline. Welcome to the podcast, John, and we're just delighted to have you here. You're having a great year, been through the Big Ten tournament, won that, just having another great year. Thanks, Dave, a lot. It has been. Uh, you saw us early in Maui, and uh, for us to have such a good year, I, I didn't know that then that we, we'd end up with uh, all these wins this season. Well, let's talk about Maui just a second. I think that was a great springboard for you. I remember seeing your team. Your team was not nearly as good offensively as they are today, but the biggest change to me in watching your team play in Maui versus watching your team play in Madison Square Garden last week is your defense has improved unbelievably. Yeah, the uh, you know what? There's a, there's a mentality that, that grows during the season. Uh, we have a very we have a lot of inexperience. We only have three guys who went through that really good year we had last year that played any type of really minutes. And we had some new guys, Xavier Simpson and Charles Matthews, who uh, it took them a while to understand positioning in defense. But they have the, uh, the athleticism and the care level to play good defense. Um, big center footer John, John Teske has come up and is a big, great backup big man for us with really good defensive numbers. And then, then Mo Wagner has really grown. So all these, uh, it's, it's just been a, you go, as you know, Dave, you go through a process and uh, they understand that defense really wins games. They win championships. That was my whole thought in the garden. You know, offense wins games, defense wins championship. We played great defense uh, in the Big Ten tournament. Well, I, re- I remember, again, watching your team practice over there more than the games. I-, I watched you practice, and, you know, I remember walking out of one of the gyms over there, and one of the guys said, I don't know if that's going to be one of the better uh, teams at Michigan in a while. I said, let me tell you something. This team has not had a good dose of John Beeline yet. you got to give them time for doing that. Your teams just always start at one place, and they seem to get better as you go along. I think that's a credit to you, but also to your wisdom uh, and experience that you've gained through the years. Well, Dave, I, I don't know what other people do because, as you know, I've never been an assistant coach. So I'm, I'm always at, I have no idea what other people are doing in January and February, uh, but I know what we're doing is we're emphasizing skill level more important than the next game. Uh, just getting, just getting better individually. Uh, that is what we're, we're emphasizing really all year long. And uh, I'm assuming everybody else does that, but um, but people tell me they aren't. I, I do not know, but I I know that's a get. And you get kids. It's not just the coaching. You got to have the willing students that will buy in. Aren't in, aren't necessarily uh, waiting to be enabled. They're they're trying to be empowered. And uh, that's really been a key to it as well. Get the right kids on that bus. Makes you a lot better offense and defensive coach. Well, I can tell you, you know, one of the advantages of being in this stage of my life 
is that I have had an opportunity to see others practice and see what they're doing, something that you say you haven't had an opportunity to do yet. That kind of awaits you. But I can tell you, not everybody does what you do. A lot of them are more concerned about the end result early on. Did we win? Did we lose? Not about the kids and not about their skill level. Have they developed that? So I think you're doing exactly the right thing. It was it was fun to watch you over in Maui. It's even more fun to see where your team is today. I call it Maui magic. And we take a little credit for your development because uh, I know where you were at that time. You're not nearly as good then as you are now. Uh, congratulations to you. People ask me, you know, describe John Beeline. I, it's easy for me. You're a lifer as a coach. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, never been an assistant coach. You've always made your own decisions. And, you know, some of the decisions I'm sure you, you look back on and say, what was I thinking? And then other decisions you look back and say, hey, man, I was pretty lucky on that one. You've been a high school coach. You've coached at Canisius. You've coached at Richmond. You've coached at Virginia, West Virginia. You've coached at Michigan. You've been in the, uh, in the Big Ten. You've seen it all up and down. I probably missed a stop or two. Didn't mean to. Tell us what the progression in your life has been uh, as you moved up the ranks uh, from place to place to place. The differences, uh, say, from Canisius to Michigan. There had to be a lot of things that are different. Oh, yeah, without question. You know, my dad was a – I'm one of nine kids, and my dad was a mill worker uh, in a paper mill. But my two uncles, all three of my uncles, were my mother's brothers were all coaches. And growing up, all I envied their sons so much because their dads had the keys to the gym. And as a result, that's all I wanted to do was be a teacher and a coach. I had great mentors in high school that I wanted to be like them. And as a result, we, um, I just, I, I was able to get a job at a high school, then a junior college. Nobody's, nobody's done it this way. And, it, and it, 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 it all worked out. Then a junior college, then an NAIA school, then a Division II school before I ever got to Canisius. And I think those days before I got to Division One, Dave, were uh, so important to any success I had later on because we were, you know, you, you made mistakes. Uh, people didn't see all the mistakes, but you knew them. And instead of being an assistant, say, oh, I would have done this. It really hits you at home when you, when you play the wrong guy or you, you run the wrong play or you play the wrong defense, it hits home and you make adjustments immediately. And so I was really, uh, it's sort of a Montessori type of experience when you're the head coach. So I've been blessed to never thought I'd even be a division one coach. And then now to have been at four different schools, uh, incredibly blessed to have these opportunities with great ADs, great fan bases. And uh, still remember you coming up to play Canisius and honoring our agreement to, to bring Tim Duncan to Buffalo, New York to play. <laughs> in the <laughs> and, odd, uh, the old odd. In, in the odd. And, and I remember saying to Mike Meeks, who's a great senior center for us, Hey, they got this 17-year-old kid, Tim Duncan. Uh, he's only 17, Tim. Or, uh, Mike, how good could he be? And, uh, and Tim ended up getting a double-double or something against us. And, and the 23-year-old guy said, Coach, that 17-year-old's pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a story right back. I, uh, you know, we were able to win that basketball game, and we were fortunate to do that. And um, I, I put the team into bus, and we were heading back out to the Buffalo airport. And uh, – Randolph Childers, who was another great player for me, hollered at the front of the bus, 
Coach, you got to be kidding me. There's no NBA team ever played in that building. They got holes in the floor, the thing just to keep the air out of it. I said, that's the way it was. Dolph Shays, Hal Greer. I mean, that's a great, that was a great coliseum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Randy Smith, Ernie DiGregorio, Bob McAdoo, all played oh there. Oh, my Jack gosh. Uh, they, they had some great, great teams there, the Buffalo Braves and the Celtics with these incredible rivalries. So uh, they ended up becoming, I think, the uh, San Diego Clippers and the L.A. Clippers of today. John, you've, uh, you've gained a reputation uh, rightfully, as a really, really fine offensive coach. But I think your defense, and we've already talked about it a little bit, uh, you know, as you, particularly as you get closer to championship time, has to be uh, sharp as well. It has to uh, get better as well. Um, as you look at the way the college game is played today versus the way it was played, let's say, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, what are the differences? There's some rule changes. Clock is at 30 instead of 35. Those, uh, uh, maybe the uh, line has moved out, so the three-point line is a little deeper. But the style, to me, has changed a lot. How do you see that? It, it, it changes not just by the years, by the months of what you see. That Just the, the advent of the computer and, and, and just being able to watch a videotape right after a game and, and Sherry's is incredible. I, my, my history was, you know, growing up going to clinics, and it was all about either Bobby Knight's man-to-man defense or Dean Smith's changing defenses, right? The zone and man and one-three-one, and uh, and uh, you just kept changing. But the ball screen was an irrelevant part of the game. And then now you go and and when I would play against you at Wake, uh, when you were at Wake, it would be we probably play zone on makes, man on misses, and and then. When we got ended up getting to uh, to Richmond at the end, played some one three one because because nobody had played it since the seventies, and it worked like crazy. And now I don't think you can play it at all. I think you can play it a little bit, but I think people have understand analytics that you can't give up three point shots, and the one three one does that. Uh, it doesn't get a, you don't get a lot of easy twos out of it, but you get a lot of three pointers. Analytically, I don't think it works anymore. And uh, so, I, and we used to switch a lot of screens. Now people are great at opening the floor and, and taking, um, really, really taking advantage of mismatches. So we don't do a lot of that anymore. The only reason, Dave, I'm still coaching today, which is I started in 75. So what's that? 43 years is a change every year, every week, just trying to find a better way. The NABC is proud to partner with Wilson Sporting Goods. For athletes to perform at their best, they require the best. And for over 100 years, that's what Wilson has delivered. Wilson is not only the best-selling basketball on the market, it is also the official basketball of the NCAA tournament. For more information, visit wilson.com. You've got a son, Patrick. He's also a coach. You know I've got a son, Ryan, who's coaching. Your son's at LeMoyne. He's already won his conference. He's in the Division II National Championships. Um, I'll let you tell the folks you're planning to make a trip, you and Kathleen, going this weekend to see him play. plays Philadelphia Textile, one of the great coaches, Herbie McGee. Uh, I can tell you, I don't know how much you've done that, 
But I, the, the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to watch Ryan coach and sit there and mind my manners. How about you? Oh, no, it's it's awful. I I, uh, I thought about this for a while whether I was going to make this trip because Saturday we're giving the team off before selection Sunday and begin your 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 your, uh, your, your tournament. Uh, but uh, but we uh, I'm going to get get I get there and it's it's terrible. I watch it on computer right now, Dave all the games and it's like my wife has watched or been a part of almost 1200 games now as a head coach and she and the family have all been following this for years my daughter everybody and for me to watch one game I said how have you done this all this time because it is really hard but I think as a coach we really feel like we're in somewhat control of the outcome I when you're when you're the father and you're not on the bench like you are you don't feel like you're in control, and it's a very uncomfortable feeling. Win or lose, you feel like you you, you have a say in the game. And uh, he does he does a, he and his staff do a great job. But uh, there are still some moments that I, I I wish you'd do something different. But there are a lot of moments that I'm very very <laughs> proud. But many more moments that I'm extremely proud uh, of what a good coach he is. I'll tell you what, he's a much he's a much better temper than I do on the oh. sidelines. When I was his age. I, I, I chased a lot of officials around and got a lot of technical fouls. He's, he's really, he's got a great eye for the game and, and stays really focused throughout the game. Very proud of that. Well, I am. Uh, it's funny. I, you know, I, I sit there and watch Ryan and I say the biggest difference between he and I as a coach, he's a much better offensive coach than I ever was. But the biggest difference is he has much more patience with his team. I mean, his temperament is much like his mother, Lynn, maybe what you're saying is Patrick is a lot like his mother, Kathleen. <laughs> yes, very much so. That they, They're really um, – they, they were, they're, he's very calm. Funny story about him uh, with his, his, his NCAA tournament game with Textile, um, that when he was a, I know, probably four or five years old, uh, I took him to Textile with me. And, you know, we get in the vans and we go down there and he, he – the promise of a happy meal or something when, when the team stopped at McDonald's. And um, I, it, it, I felt that we had a bad whistle in that game. And I, I ended up great. He was sitting at the end of the bench. I grabbed him by the hand. He held onto my pinky and we chased the officials across the floor with him holding onto my hand. <laughs> and now he's coaching against the same coach again. So it, 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 it's, it's great. It's great stuff. He actually, Herb McGee actually also coached against my uncle, Tom Nyland was a historic coach at, uh, at LeMoyne College yeah, 51 years ago. So guys like Herbie McGee are treasures to college basketball. I'm telling you, they're, this is, this, he's a tremendous coach and just keeps on winning. Over 1,000 wins for him. True or false, you're playing Purdue in the Big Ten Championship, Madison Square Garden, last week, the final buzzer goes off, you turn – you find your wife, Kathleen, sitting in the front row, and you said, or you asked her, did Patrick win? Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. I, I, he was playing at the exact same time, so I was um, very interested in what well, he was playing. He was about a half behind us, and uh, that was the first thing I wanted to know is that if they won or not because it was, it was, they were in the championship game. And so it was, it was actually Saturday. It was after we had just beaten Michigan State. And uh, the, uh, 
finding out that he won the game was very, very gratifying. It might have been Sunday. I, I don't know which day it was, but all I know is he won the game, and I was really happy about it. And it, now he was uh, – uh, Lemoyne uh, College is a tremendous uh, Jesuit school, and I'm so, so happy for him because uh, it had a, it, it, it's always had a proud tradition, but very few championships. And he's got one of those now. It's, it's really, really a, a great testament to him and his staff. Um, this was this was your second Big Ten championship in a row, and it's just an unbelievable thing. It's done, been done uh, ever so infrequently in the Big Ten. It just don't happen. It, uh, you got so many really good teams up that week, but because this game, this tournament was played a week earlier, and you've got a week off. And then you've got about four or five days off, depending on whether it's next Thursday or Friday that you play your first uh, NCAA game. You've got some decisions to make. What do you do with your team? Do you, how much rest do you give them? How do you keep them sharp? Do you give them – you want fresh minds, you want fresh legs, uh, but yet you want them prepared as you go in uh, to next week. Give us a little idea about what you're doing in terms of keeping your – you're, you want to give your team some time to rest, but you want to keep them sharp and ready to play next week. After those four games in four days, we obviously gave them the next day off. But then we were right back at it the following day. Dave, you told me this. I don't think if you remember this, but when I was at Richmond maybe and, and, um, you, and you were just, just taken over. No, you had just taken over, I think, and maybe I was at Canisha time at Wake Forest. And you told me, you were still practicing really hard in February because you had a young team and you had to get them better for this year and next year. Right. And uh, we, we still, we, I hear these guys say, Oh, we'll go an hour an hour. That's as that never happens. That never happens. We always are, you know, we do, we do more, might do more stretching and we might limit a drill for what used to be 12 minutes is now eight minutes, but we're still going almost. We're on the floor out there a lot. And so, but we uh, will take days off and practice a touch lighter. But right now, it's like no contact the other day, but drills you would do the first day of practice. Uh, today, we're going to have a little contact and a little bit of half-court scrimmage, but a bunch of drills you do in basketball camps just to keep their legs in shape and moving quickly and their hands, you know, ball handling drills, all these things. Uh, we're, we're, we're a top ten again and not turning the ball over. But there's a reason for that. We keep doing ball handling drills all year long. This is a great week to do that. Extra shooting. Uh, so we're still going at it, but we probably will take three days off this week instead of one. And that that gives us the next rest to stay sharp, but, but gain some rest at the same time. John, you are, uh, by choice, on the NCAA Ethics Coalition. First of all, what is your interest in that particular co- coalition, and how does that translate to the NABC and what we're trying to do to get the word out to people that, you know, there are a lot of uh, ethical coaches and there are, uh, a, lot of, a lot of our coaches care deeply about the game and its development and how it's viewed by, by the public. Well, it, what it is, Dave, and I'm no longer on it. I was on it. I was the first chair. And uh, guys like Phil Martelli, Brad Stevens, myself, uh, all were with those, that first, those first ones. And uh, it's an NCA. It's not an NABC affiliate. It's NCA, and uh, it was a, a committee of, of guys that just a sounding board for those in the NCA to say to realize that a lot of us are doing it right, 
and don't let the newspaper influence the NCAA and everybody else that there's a whole bunch of guys that have made bad choices. Uh, the truth is we haven't. So what we've tried to do with it is do, do, the, uh, do things the right way and make sure we put out a great booklet for new coaches. Uh, our, our motto was one way, the right way. And just sort of be a, a, a talk, talk at the NB, NABC um, uh, convention about ethical behavior. And uh, just we, we all, we, I, I say all the time is we need to just follow the spirit of these rules instead of trying to find ways around them. And if we do that, this whole thing would, would, would have a much better reputation. So the Ethics Coalition, uh, there is an NABC Ethics Committee, but the Ethics Coalition is, is a really strong group. And uh, I was proud to be a part of that. I was on it for about probably eight or nine years, but last year was finally okay. It been, I'd served two terms. I was like, okay, it's time for somebody else. We've already established that um, you've been a head coach all your professional life. And, and usually when I talk to coaches on this particular podcast, I say, well, you know, who were your mentors growing up? Who helped you along the way? And they usually go to whoever they served as an assistant coach. That is, they had a head coach to kind of model themselves after. You haven't had that, but you still must have had uh, influential mentors around you, whether it's your high school coach or, or maybe people that you coached against at the high school level or on the way up. Who has been important in your life in helping um, carve out the way you coach and the way you attack and, and uh, uh, being a head coach at the collegiate level? Well, my, my high school coaches were, were I mean, I, I love those, all of them and all the sports I play. All, I played three sports and uh, for most of the time, stopped playing football later on. But I was, um, those were very, they made me want to teach and coach. But without question, when I went to LeMoyne College, uh, my uncle, his name is Tom Nyland, was the athletic director there. Uh, he, he was uh, uh, injured in the Battle of Bastogne in, in World War II. He's first cousins with, with the Nyland family, which is the the, the uh, Saving Private Ryan is based on, uh, and just a, a tough son of a gun who taught me so much about basketball. He's the one that told me, you know, you don't really have a great point guard. Why don't you play with a two guard offense? And I I said I had no idea what he was talking about. He showed me some some things on a on a board that uh, how they used to play in the 40s and 50s. And we, we became a two-guard offense after that, and we've been ever since. Um, he taught me about following the spirit of the rule. He was the chairman of the ethics um, of the uh, of the infractions committee for the NCA. The thing about that, Dave, the AD of LeMoyne College was the chairman of the, of the infractions committee for the NCA when SMU was given the death penalty. That, that's how powerful this man was. So he mm. taught me a lot about uh, basketball and the right way to go about your business in recruiting and, and coaching and everything, and a huge influence on my life. My Uncle Joe was also the head coach at Canisius at one time. Uh, he was a big influence. All my uncles, my Uncle Mike as well, big influence. Um, people that probably today's generation haven't heard of, these guys shaped so many people's lives back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, a lot of good people are, are living through them right now. You know, just taking that a step forward, uh, that, that same subject, you've had some former assistants on your staff to move forward 
and they're now head coaches. Francis Lavelle Jordan at uh, Butler is doing a great job, and Mike Jones at Radford just uh, won his way uh, into, coached his way into the NCAA tournament. Man, that'd be something if you had to face one of them. Yeah, that would be uh, that would not be fun. I, I've only I've had to face Patrick one time, and uh, in an exhibition game, and then my son Patrick, and then uh, Mike McDonald at Canisius. It's the most uncomfortable thing. But uh, yeah, Mike Jones, Mike Jones, so happy he made it. Uh, we, he, he's done a great job. I got Zach Spiker down at Trek at Drexel. It, it gave a good run in the CAA tournament. Uh, Jeff Newbauer's at Fordham. I think they're knocked out right now. Uh, but we have a bunch of guys that are that are that are, are Division One coaches. Really proud of them. It, it's almost like you would your own son because you work so hard. But I hope I never have to play against any of those guys. Uh, that's for sure. Quickly, what are some of the qualities you look for when you're hiring an assistant coach? Uh, I used to, I used to, uh, Dave. I used to just go, okay, is he a good coach? Does he know basketball? And that's the farthest from what I look for right now. I want. I look at our team first and say, what does our team need? Do we need a guy more defense? What, is, what does our staff need? Not just if he's a good coach. And so, like this year, I, I, for the last few years, I've lost uh, two assistants to head coaching jobs, and two had other opportunities that were more in their home area that they left. So I had hired four assistants the last two years, and it really helped me get a sort of a pattern of there could be a tremendous assistant out there, but he didn't fit what we needed. So this, I went to uh, just, I wanted a defensive guy, more of an offensive guy, a big man coach one year. But here's what I want the most. I want teachers. I want guys that can teach the game. Uh, a lot of people hire recruiters. And, and then kids aren't ready to play college basketball. So if you hire just a recruiter who can't teach, he, he's not getting better. And then everybody loses. The kid loses especially. Because there's a lot of development. So um, I want people that have relationship builders with uh, with kids, not just coaches. I mean, we I rarely – my assistants never curse in practice ever, and I rarely would even get upset like that. I want guys that are being in a classroom with kids, motivate them, demand them, make them work their tail off, but don't want it to be intimidating. So uh, I want I want the right type of personality. That's the biggest thing. Uh, and then lastly, he's got to be one diligent son of a gun. He's got to be a hard worker. I'm not going to be like making him get up at six in the morning to get here and, and not going to be checking to see how late he's in the office. But I expect his work to be done and done perfectly every time. Each week in the podcast, we try to close with a discussion on why it's important for coaches to give back to the game. Nobody's done it more than you have. But as the title indicates, we want to be guardians of the game. So, John, in your own words, why is it important for you as a head coach at University of Michigan to give back to the game? I think we're, what we're doing is we give back to the game. We're giving back to another generation of, of people who, who will uh, exponentially make influences, you know, for the rest of their lives. We're talking these kids in their 20s when we're – giving back to the game. We're setting the right examples why we all love this game so much. Our players are going to take this out, whether they become coaches or, 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 or out in leadership positions, they're going to take so many of these values forward. And it's, 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 it's so healthy for our, our country to have college sports and, and the, the young men and women we produce in college sports 
going out into the workforce, going out into domestic life, going to the military, going to things, and bringing the messages that they learn through the, the, the hard sweat and toil they have. And, and when you can, when you can, as I give back, they're going to give back, and it just continues to grow with everybody. So it uh, follows that these young kids, as they follow your model, hopefully as they get into positions like you're in, they're going to give back to the game as well, and then we'll, it, it'll only get better as we go along. Absolutely. There's so many good coaches out there that they, they care so much about the kids more than wins and losses, and that gets mixed up along the way. But the, uh, I, I, I just look now at – I went back, and my LeMoyne College team in, in 87-88 made the NCAA tournament, and they, they honored us. 13 of the 14th guys showed up, and it was like, all right, this guy's a, this guy's a lawyer, this guy's a doctor, this, guy, this guy's in the police, this guy's – it's like, you got to be kidding me. These guys are so successful right now, and they're they're mentoring right now all most of them, and that's that's part of it. That's if you give back to others, they will give. They will continue to give on and on, and the people they touch just grows. John, I want to thank you uh, in a special way for giving up uh, a good half an hour of your time here. You've got the NCAA tournament staring you right in the face, yet you care enough about the game to. Uh, come in here and, and give us uh, some thoughts on, on how you've coached and s- the path that you've taken and some advice for the, some of these young people. And, and we want to thank our listeners uh, for tuning in to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast uh, to listen to Coach Beeline. In my opinion, it's been one of the best ones we've had. Thanks to everybody for taking the time. John Beeline, you are a champion, buddy. We wish you the very best as you go in to the NCAA, uh, to the NCAA tournament uh, this coming week. And uh, I know your team is going to do extremely well. We look forward to, to seeing you. Hopefully, we'll see you in San Antonio. If not, I'm going to see you in Maui again in four years. <laughs> Thanks very much, Dave. Have a great day. The NABC Guardians of the Game is proudly supported by Wilson, the official basketball of the NCAA.